Well, thank you, Neil, for that update. It is great to know what the Lord is doing all across Montgomery, and I'm just thankful that the Lord has brought you here to encourage me and to encourage pastors all across this area. We're grateful for you, Neil, and grateful for your partnership with us. So, Gateway family, find Ephesians chapter 2 on your Bible or on your Bible app as we continue our journey through Paul's letter to the believers in Ephesus. Friends, as we continue our journey verse by verse through Ephesians, we come to a text today that speaks to a very practical issue, a very real issue that we see in Montgomery and we see all around the world. That's the issue of division between people. Friends, we don't have to watch much news or read many news headlines to realize how much division there is in the world today, how much racial division there is between people of different races as wounds from the past and ongoing racism continue to hurt people. We don't have to look far to see the ethnic rivalries around the world, the genocide, the civil wars that are happening everywhere as people fight. We don't have to look far to see the political fighting that happens between so-called believers who smear each other and lash out against each other because they have different political views. Friends, we see all around us and all around the world division, division, and more division. If we want to describe it all, the summary is there's a lack of peace all around the world. And there's a lack of peace even here in Montgomery between people with different races and ethnic backgrounds as well. We all feel the effects of living in a cursed and a fallen world. But friends, this problem of division is not new. It's not just a Montgomery problem. It's not just an American problem. It's not just a new problem today. It's an issue that Paul has to address when he's writing to the people in Ephesus, a city where there was very real division between people of different races, people of different ethnic groups, people of different beliefs. And friends, the division that is in Ephesus is no less than anything that happened in Montgomery in the past. There is such real division that Paul is having to address at this time in history in Ephesus. Before we get to our main part of the text, I want you to see a glimpse in our text today of the division that existed between people of different backgrounds in Ephesus. So look in Ephesians chapter 2. I want us to see verse 11 as we get started this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Friends, what you see here is a division between Jew and Gentile. And friends, throughout world history, there's never been a division as great as that of Jew and Gentile. The Jews here are called the circumcision. They're called this because that was a sign God gave to his people back in Genesis 17 to Abraham to remind them that the Messiah would come through their line. But the sign that was to remind them and make them hopeful for the Messiah became a source of pride for them. They began to develop an ethnic superiority. But the Gentiles were no better on that. They're called the uncircumcision here. Not just they did not have the sign, but they did not have all the privileges that went with it. Look in verse 12 of Ephesians 2. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was such division here that these Gentiles were, one of their descriptions was they were alienated from Israel. They were separated. There was a division. There was hatred between them. And friends, this is not anything that was surprising here for them. The Jews hated the Gentiles so much they saw them as dogs. In fact, the Jews had been taught that Gentiles were born to fuel the fires of hell. Jews had been taught that it was illegal to help a Gentile woman in birth because to help a Gentile woman give birth would bring another heathen pagan into the world. But the Gentiles were in the same way. They hated the Jews. They saw the Jews as their enemies. They thought their own way of life was best. You look at Greek thought and how proud it was. You look at Roman imperialism and their desire to conquer the world and make it all Roman. You see how the pride they felt in seeing their culture is better than that of the Jews. Friends, this problem of division is very real that Paul is having to address, but it's not new. It was there in AD 60 and it's around today. Why? Because it's a sin problem. It's a problem of the human heart. It's a problem that goes deep down in our hearts. That's why so many attempts 
to do racial reconciliation, to do ethnic bringing people together, fail because it doesn't address the sin problem of the heart. Think back three weeks ago, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, which described our spiritual condition. Did it say that we were sick in our sins? What did it say? We are what in our sins? Do you remember? We're dead in our sins. Because of the deadness of our heart, we are bound to follow the enemy. We are bound to follow our fleshly desires. We are bound to follow the ways of the world. And out of all that includes racism, includes ethnic superiority, includes prejudicial things. That all comes out of being dead in the sinfulness of our own heart. Friends, that raises the question, is there hope? Is there hope for peace? Is there hope for reconciliation for people of different backgrounds to come together? And friends, just like we saw a few weeks ago when we saw that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, there was hope. Because there's that beautiful line, but God being rich in mercy. And today we see something similar. After these two verses that tell us about this division between Jew and Gentile, we're going to come in just a minute to that similar phrase, but now in Christ Jesus. There is hope, friends, not in something we can do, not hope in ourselves, but hope in God and what he does. And so we're going to listen in this morning as Paul writes to the believers in Ephesus, believers who come from Jewish background and believers who come from Gentile backgrounds, believers who are now in the same church who come from groups that would hate each other outside of the church. Is peace possible for them? And is peace possible today for believers from different backgrounds in Montgomery and all around the world? And I want you to see that peace is possible, and I want you to look for how that is. So we're going to come to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to read all of 11 through 18. So I can ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. What a treasure we have in His revealed Word to us. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. The words will be on the screen, and I'm reading out the English Standard Version. Ephesians 2, 11. Therefore, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you are at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for giving us your word. I'm thankful that your word shows us who you are, who we are, and Lord, your plans for how we're to relate to one another. So God, I pray you would take your word today, this word that you inspired Paul to write, and I pray that your same Holy Spirit that inspired this would now breathe life into it and illumine it in our hearts and minds. Give us understanding, and I pray, Holy Spirit, you give us application to our lives of what this is to look like as we live this out, seeking to be your children, obeying you and what you've got for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. So is peace possible between people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds? Well, absolutely. And how so? One thing I want you to see from this text this morning is this. Peace is possible because of this. God actively works to create one body of believers from diverse backgrounds. So is peace possible? Is unity possible? Yes. Not because of us, but because of what God's going to do. This is not some hope God has, some desire God has that he's unable to do. This is God actively working, actively working then in AD 60 when this was written, God actively working today. 
to do what? To create one body, to take groups that are different, to bring them together, people of diverse backgrounds, to make them together into the church as one body. God is actively at work rescuing and redeeming people from all different backgrounds to create one body. So let's kind of unpack that and think through that this morning. Our hope that there can be peace between people of different backgrounds. Look at verse 13 and notice how this has got to be God's work. Is God actively working here? Verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Notice the tense change. This is how things used to be. This division between Jew and Gentile was past tense. That's no longer what it's supposed to be. Something has changed. And what has changed? Well, what's changed is verse 13. In Christ Jesus. What's changed is the end of verse 13. The blood of Christ. When Christ died and rose again, he created change in how people can relate to one another by his blood. In fact, this whole text is full of this terminology. If you reread it later today, you'll see these phrases, in Christ, by his blood, he himself, in himself, through the cross, over and over and over. All the action is attributed to God. Because this is God's sovereign work. This is God actively working. In fact, the only command for us here is to remember. Everything else is described as God's work in this. And so, friends, our hope is not in the frailty of humans to try to bring different groups together. Our hope is that God and His sovereign plan and all of His omnipotent power is working to bring different groups together to do something beautiful in this. And what is God specifically doing here? Well, in AD 60, when this is written, look at what He's doing in Ephesus, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you once who were far off, that's the Gentiles, have been brought near, near to who? That's the Jews, by the blood of Christ. What God is doing in Ephesus that he's still doing in different contexts all around the world. He's taking here the Gentiles, those who are far off, not just physically, but also spiritually, and bringing them near the Jews, the Jews who now believe, the Messianic Jews, and putting these Jews and these Gentiles who would have hated each other outside of the church, putting them in the same church, making them adopted brothers and sisters together in the same body. And friends, this is not just some mere coexistence that God is doing. This is not the Messianic Jews in Ephesus saying, Great Gentiles, I'm glad you have your salvation. You stay on your side of the city and I'll stay on my side of the city. This is not the Jewish believers here saying, Great Gentiles, I'm glad that God forgave you as well. You go start your Gentile church. Let us have our Messianic Jewish church here. That's not what God is doing. What God is doing is bringing them together, near each other. Verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both... What's the next word there? He's made us both... One, He's made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. God doesn't save the Gentiles and send them to their little isolated group and save the Jews and send them to their isolated group. He brings these people who would hate each other outside the church together into the same church. There's an important image here I don't want us to miss in verse 14. It says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Friends, it's easy for us to gloss over that phrase, the dividing wall of hostility, but it's an important image here that would have really resonated with the people in Ephesus at the time. You have to realize in the Jewish temple, there was a wall that separated the court of the Gentiles from the rest of the temple. It was the only place the Gentiles could go. They could go to that wall and no further. In fact, on that wall in the temple that separated the Gentile gathering from the Jewish gathering, there were inscriptions in multiple languages, particularly in Latin and in Greek, that warned them if they dared to cross that wall, they would be killed. We've actually found these inscriptions in archaeological digs and their own displays in museums around the world, particularly in Jerusalem. But I found this fascinating. One of the inscriptions on this wall in the temple said this, No foreigner may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. 
How's that for a welcome greeting on the temple wall there? If you cross this, you're to yourself to blame because you're going to get killed if you dare cross as a Gentile where the Jews only are allowed to go. There was a physical wall here that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. And the image here is so clear for us in verse 14 that God in his flesh has broken down the dividing wall. He's the one who's crushed it to pieces. These inscriptions that said, you Gentiles are not welcome with the Jews, God has crushed it. He has broken down that wall. And over the rubble of the inscription saying, don't dare pass or you'll die, the Gentiles are invited to run across that broken down wall to join the Jews who now believe in worshiping God. It's an image for us of what God has done. But how is that wall literally broken down? What does this image actually mean in real life? Verse 15, it explains it to us. How does he break down the wall? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. He abolishes the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances. Friends, it wasn't just a physical wall that kept the Gentiles away. If you think back to Old Testament law, there were all these ceremonial washings and all these rituals that Jewish people had to go through in order to be clean to go to the temple to worship God. And it says here what Christ did with us is he abolished the law of commandments and the ordinances. This doesn't mean he did away with the Ten Commandments. It doesn't mean he did away with the moral law. He abolished the ceremonial law, the law that set the Jews apart from the rest of the people, the laws that govern what type of clothing they could wear and govern how they had to clean themselves. He abolished all of that. Why? Not because God changed his mind. We need almost a whole sermon on the Old Testament law, and we'll get to that one day. But it wasn't that God changed his mind on this. Rather, all that ceremonial law was fulfilled in Christ. Christ perfectly kept every single part of that law of all these ritual washings and what to wear and all this stuff. Christ kept it perfectly. And friends, when he died on the cross, he fulfilled the law. And so fulfilling the law, he became the perfect sacrifice. So you and I no longer have to go through all those things to be clean ceremonially to come to God. He himself fulfilled it, so now we have access to God regardless of our background on this. He's abolished those things. Verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. So regardless of a person's racial or ethnic background, they don't have to go through the Jewish ceremonial laws. They're all allowed equal access to God because of what God has done. Now what is God doing here with bringing these groups together, friends? He's creating one body of believers. And look at what happens in this when God brings something together here. Back in verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create himself, here it is again, one new man in place of the two. God is not just bringing two groups that are different, two ethnically different groups, two racially different groups together and say, okay, now y'all coexist together in the same church. He's bringing these two diverse groups together and saying, listen, I'm going to make something newer and better than you could have had separate on this. A group that is so different than anything the world has experienced. And what is this group like? Verse 16 tells us. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. This new group that comes from people of diverse backgrounds, what does this look like, what God has created? What does this new man, this new church, this new body of believers look like? Well, there's a vertical aspect of it here in verse 16, that we have been, as it said, reconciled both to God in one body. This is everything chapter 1 talked about. When God adopted us, when he predestined us, when he chose us, when he rescued us, when he gave us new life and gave us a seat at his table. Jews, Gentiles alike, it doesn't matter what your ethnic or racial background is. This is offered to all now that we have access to be reconciled to God. In fact, verse 18 at the end of what we read today gives us a glimpse of that. Verse 18 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. 
And so this new body is described in terms of vertically how we relate to God. We are all equally reconciled to God. We all have equal access to God. But this new man that he's created, this new body, also has a horizontal dimension of how we relate to one another, also in verse 16. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Killing the hostility that Jew and Gentile have for each other. Killing the hostility these groups that were racially and ethnically different would have for each other naturally. He kills that hostility between them. Notice it doesn't say he minimizes the hostility or he diminishes the hostility. He kills it. And I love that image there. The hostility, the fighting between these people of different ethnic racial backgrounds. God says, I don't just minimize that. I kill the fighting. I kill the hostility. I abolish the hostility you have. Again, it's God's work doing this in his people's life as he sanctifies them, as he grows them. He takes people who would hate each other, pushes them into the same church together, gives them equal access to him, and then abolishes whatever strife they would have naturally because they are different. God is actively working to create one body of believers from diverse backgrounds. But why? Why is God doing this? Friends, our text today doesn't directly say But that's the beauty of context. That's why we preach verse by verse through books of the Bible, because this is all part of one flow. It's easy to take a text like this and pull it out by itself, but this is a continuous flow of thought. Look back to the very beginning of verse 11. What's the very first word we read today? Verse 11. What's the first word? Therefore. Okay, that means that what we're reading today is not in isolation. It's connected to what just came before. All this talk about remembering the division and the hostility that used to be there. But now remember what Christ has done in bringing you together. Look at what God is doing to bring diversity together and make something new and better in one church and one man. Why is he doing this? What's before the therefore? That's what Drew preached on last week. Go back to verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. Therefore, Remember the past hostility. Therefore, remember what Christ has done. Therefore, remember that's not how you are anymore. Remember, God has brought you together to be unified, to be a church that is new, that's living at peace. Because, verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, Drew showed us so faithfully last week that we are created to do good works. We're not saved by our works, but we're saved to do good works. Perhaps another way to phrase that is God has saved us to glorify him. We are saved to do things that bring God glory. Paul says, remember that. Remember that you are saved. You're rescued, not so you don't go to hell. We've seen this over and over through our study of John's and over and over through our study of Ephesians. God has rescued us. He has saved us, not just so I don't go to hell, but so I can bring him glory, so I can be part of something much bigger than just me, something that glorifies him. We're saved to glorify God. So why is God working to create one body of people from diverse backgrounds? Because, friends, we cannot glorify God when division exists between believers. We cannot glorify God when we hold to pagan worldly distinctions of race and ethnicity and let those create walls that divide us. When God is saying, no, I'm breaking all those down. I'm bringing people from all different backgrounds together into a church together to glorify me. Because we cannot glorify him when division continues to persist. Likewise, friends, we cannot be used for good works as God desires when we hold on to pagan worldly Anger and anger and separation from people who are different than us. That's not God's plan. Verse 10, we are created for good works. We are created to glorify God. This God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember the division of the past. Remember, Therefore, remember, that's not you anymore. God's plan is to bring people of diverse backgrounds together to make them one in one church, to worship Him, to live together in Christian community, but not to stop there, to be sent out together. 
to make him known, to a world that fights each other over racial, ethnic, and political things. And he looks at people who come together from all these different backgrounds and goes, how can that be that they love each other and live together with each other? It's part of God's mission for the good works he has called us to do. He's actively working to create one body of believers from diverse backgrounds. So what do we do with that? There's, there's a temptation for me to list seven or eight points of possible application for us from this text. There's so many things that we could do with this truth that God is the one who's actively working to bring people of diverse backgrounds together into one body, one new man for his purposes to glorify him. But instead of listing a ton of possible applications for you, I'm going to trust that the Holy Spirit will speak to you what you need to know and what you need to do in light of what God himself has done. But to help you consider that, I want to close with a quote for you. Not really a quote, a list, if you will. So I was studying over the last two weeks this particular text. Something really arrested my attention. I showed it to CJ as well, when we were, and we got to have a good conversation talking about it. There's a guy named Brian Chappell. He's a pastor, a theologian, and an author. And Brian Chapel was in, in wrestling with this text, said there's a progression of where we all are in this spectrum. He calls it a progression basically from animosity to reconciliation. It's a progression of how we relate to people who are different from us. Now, I've tweaked his, his wording a little bit to fit what we're doing here, but the ideas come from Brian Chapel here. There's six categories, and friends, every single one of us is in one of these six categories in terms of how we view people of different racial and ethnic backgrounds, people with different political views. You could fill in the blank whatever difference you want to fill in there. How do we, as far as of Christ, relate to people who are different than us? We're going to fall into one of these six categories. Here's the first one. We'll get the first one on the screen. First of all, some people hate people different than them because they're different. We hate them because they're different. We've seen that all throughout history of Montgomery and history all over the world. They look different than me. They think different than me. They vote different than me. Therefore, I hate them. Number two, we'll tolerate them if they stay in their place. Okay, I'm not going to hate them. I know I'm not supposed to hate, but... I'll tolerate them, but if they just don't bother me, if they stay over there, this could have easily been a temptation for the, the Jewish believers in Ephesus. Okay, I'll tolerate the Gentiles if they just stay in their Gentile church and I keep my little Jewish messianic church over here. That's still not what God wants us. Number three, we'll accept them only if they become like us. That's saying, okay, yeah, I'll welcome people different than me, but they have to come to me. They have to adopt my styles and my preferences and my way of thinking and my political voting patterns and whatever else it may be. Number four, We'll accept them despite our differences, okay? We're, we're doing a little bit better moving down the list here, we're, this is, but it's still not where God wants us. Just say, okay, we're different, but we're going to accept each other. No. Number five, we love them because God wants us to help them. Now, friends, this sounds really religious, but this is really dangerous because this is an us-them mindset. This is, we're the ones who have the answers. We're the ones who have it figured out, and God's going to use me to, to get them where they need to be. But number six is what we see here in Ephesians 2. We love them, period. We love them, period, and we need each other to better understand God. They need me just as I, much as I need them. I need them just as much as they need me. God's design is for us to have people of different racial backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, different political persuasions who all come together in the church together because we need each other. That's why God brings diversity together, diversity of spiritual gifts, diversity of talents, diversity of perspectives on the world. And he brings all that together to actually create one body of believers because together we can do more for him than apart. Together we can do much more good works that God prepared beforehand for us to walk in them. Friends, God is actively working to create one body of believers from diverse backgrounds. And if we understand number six there, that we love each other, period. 
that we don't focus on the worldly divisions and distinctions that characterize the world, but we focus on loving each other, being one new man, one new body of believers under the authority of Christ. Recognize that each other brings different gifts and talents and perspectives. Friends, if we get to that place, we will better understand God. We will better be the church he wants us to be, and we will better be able to bring God glory as he designs. Now, before I close, I want to read you a quote from one of my favorite authors. He was, he was talking about this text and talking about the issue of, of racial diversity in churches. And he said something that just arrested my attention. And it's a great prayer for us at Gateway, prayer for me, prayer for you as well. He said this, Oh, how I long for us to be a people who love Christ-exalting diversity and who love it not because diversity is the politically correct Christian virtue, but because the one we love most, Jesus Christ, shed his blood to ransom people from every tribe and language and people and nation. We love Christ-exalting diversity, not because it is a cool social issue, but because it is a costly blood issue. We love Christ-exalting ethnic diversity because we love the gospel. Friends, listen to that that last part again. We love Christ-exalting diversity. This is diversity because it's God's design to bring diversity together. We love it. It's Christ-exalting. It's Christ-glorifying when diversity comes together. We love it not because it's a cool social issue, but because it's a costly blood issue. We love Christ-exalting ethnic diversity because we love the gospel. And so we want to chew on that quote more in our life groups and homes this week. You know, we have life groups that meet all throughout the week in the community. They're going to be wrestling with that question, wrestling with those six points from Brian Chapel. But if you want a chance to wrestle with those, on the back table and down front here are copies of the questions our life groups are wrestling with. If you didn't have time to get that quote down or to get those points down, know they're on handouts in the back and the front here if you'd like to consider those this upcoming week. Friends, God actively works. God's the one doing it to create one body of believers from all these different backgrounds so that he might receive the glory. So friends, where are we? As we close and think about that, where are you? Where am I? Where is Gateway? Are we rejoicing at what God is doing? Do we rejoice at how God is bringing together diversity to make one new body of believers? Do we rejoice at how God is creating one new body to glorify him? Do we embrace what God is doing? And ultimately, trusting the Holy Spirit to apply it to each of our lives, do we embrace what God is doing to create one new man in place of the two? Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that you've revealed yourself to us. And Lord, I'm just so thankful, particularly for this book of Ephesians that we're wrestling with. God, that you've shown us in these first few chapters already so far who we are to you. You've shown us our identity of what it means to belong to you, what it means to be your children, to have a seat at your table. Father, I'm thankful in particular for this text that reminds us so beautifully that, Lord, there's others seated next to us at this table who look different than us, who come from different backgrounds than us, but yet we are brothers and sisters in the same family. Oh, God, would you help us treasure that? Would you help us treasure that, Lord, that you are bringing people from all different backgrounds, all over the world, all different ethnicities, all different tongues, tribes, nations, and languages together to bring you glory. And Lord, I just pray that you'll search my heart and search the heart of each of these precious brothers and sisters and show us what you want us to do with this. Or show us what it looks like to be a people who rejoice more in what you're doing and actively working. Lord, we want to be a place to where we see you actively working in these ways, bringing people together from all different backgrounds, unify together around the gospel to glorify you and make you known. And we'll trust you to lead us as you're doing because it's all your work and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing our closing song this morning?